Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. Hey, church family, Josh here. It's a good morning. Can you imagine if I preached the whole sermon like that? <laughs> How long would you stick through it? No, you know what? I'm excited today because potentially, Lord willing, hopefully, this could be the last pre-recorded sermon to an empty room, online only, nobody here for a long time. Lord willing, this will be the last one for a long time because you know what? Next week, July 4th, I'm going to get to preach to real people, real faces in the room here, live, and you who are going to be online. I'm really excited for that, and I hope you're excited too. I'm really excited about this whole reopening conversation. You know what? I've got to be honest with you this morning. Can I admit something? Can we be honest in church? Um, I've struggled with a bad attitude for this lockdown. (laughs) Anybody else out there? You know what, can I, can I just say that I've had a hard time with my attitude for this whole pandemic? Can anybody agree? You know what, actually I've got to say this. I've had a hard time maintaining a good attitude pretty much my whole life. Can anybody agree with me there? Attitude is tough, and I'm wondering if that's a struggle for you too. You know what you're not when you have a bad attitude? You're not on mission. There's no way you're on mission when when you have a bad attitude. Attitude is mission critical. You know what? We're coming to the end of this series that we call Mission Critical. And we've been talking about things that are critical to the mission because we're coming to the end of the book of Acts, the end of early church history from the New Testament, the end of the Apostle Paul's ministry, the end of the Apostle Peter's ministry. We're coming to critical moments in the founding and formation implementation of Christ's church. And a couple of things that have stood out to me through this sermon series that are critical to the mission, Alex pointed it out four weeks ago when he said, Uh, The believers were confused. They hadn't received the Holy Spirit. They only had the baptism with the baptism of John. They needed explanation. And Alex said, we need to use language that people understand when we're giving the gospel. That is mission critical. If you're using big theological terms that nobody understands, what's the point? And big theological terms are good. You need to know your Bible. You need to get deep in there. Don't have a shallow understanding of Christianity. But if you can't explain it, to the everyday person on the street. Here's a test. Talk to your kids about salvation, about sanctification, about the eternal state of the believer. In language they understand. There's a test for you. Mission critical. You need to be able to use language that people understand. And then Steve, in his last two messages, uh, it really spoke to me this theme of love. Paul was compelled by love. We love because Christ first loved us. Love for people is what drives the mission. This is mission critical. You need to actually love people. Who would have thought, right? If you don't love people, if you're just putting up with people, if people just generally annoy you, and I understand people can be annoying, but if you don't love people, then how can you be on mission for Jesus for people if you don't actually love them? 
Today we're going to be in the book of Philippians and we're talking about attitude. A good attitude is critical to the mission. Your outlook, your mindset, what you choose to focus on, it's critical to the mission. Uh, In these four short chapters, this letter to the church in Philippi, Paul is going to use the term joy, rejoicing, and gladness 19 times in four chapters. Can you think of a theme of the book? Everybody points to Philippians as the book on joy, the book on rejoicing, the book on gratefulness, the book on gladness. It's all about our attitude today. It's all about our mindset, our outlook, what we choose to think about. And this is not a sermon on positive thinking. But positive thinking is important. God gave us minds for a reason, and what we choose to fill them with is so important. What we believe affects how we think and affects what we say, what we do, how we feel. What are you thinking about these days? What are you letting in your mind? A good attitude is critical to the mission. Can I admit something to you? The times when I've had the worst attitude are the times when I'm thinking about myself the most. Have you found that? The times when my attitude is the worst are the times that I'm thinking about myself the most. I want you to write that down if you take notes because we're going to be talking about that through this sermon. Here's the context for Philippians. Paul is on house arrest, most likely in Rome. Uh, He's literally in lockdown. He, He knows what it's like. He's got a rotation of soldiers. They're keeping a close eye on him day and night. Potentially, he's chained to them. Here's a question. If someone watched you during this whole lockdown, if they had an eye over your shoulder, what would they see from the last eight, nine, ten weeks? What would they see how you live your life? I'm thankful nobody saw how many bags of Doritos I've eaten over the last eight or nine weeks. But what if somebody watched over your shoulder? What would they see while you're in lockdown? While Paul is in lockdown, he's on house arrest, the church in Philippi, the first church that Paul founded, evangelized, set up in Eastern Europe, this dear church, on I think it was his second missionary journey, you can read about it in Acts chapter 16, this dear church, they send Epaphroditus with a gift for Paul, some financial support, some companionship, some encouragement, while he's in lockdown, And this letter that we're talking about today is is like the thank you note, the thank you receipt that Paul is sending back to the church in Philippi with Epaphroditus, thanking them for their gift, for the encouragement that they sent his way. Are you thankful for people who've encouraged you through this lockdown? And I, I know people have, because if you're watching this right now, That's kind of the purpose of this Celebration Sunday service, to unite in community, to get our focus on God, to celebrate truth, community, and engagement, to check in on you, to see how you're doing. Every Thursday, Steve posts a check-in video to check in on you, see how you're doing, connect with you, invite you into conversation. That's why that friend sent that message. That's why you got that text, that call, that letter. People care about you, and people have checked in on you, I'm sure of it, over the last eight or nine weeks. So why don't you take a note from Paul, from the letter to Philippi, the church in Philippi. Just pull out your phone right now and text thank you to somebody who's chosen to take the time to care for and connect with you during this lockdown. Just do that. I give you full permission. Pull out your phone and just text thank you. That's simple. And start the conversation with somebody, thanking them for how they checked in on you 
in your lockdown? Why don't you do that now? Are you thankful for people? Here's the first thing Paul tells them after expressing his thankfulness for them. He says in chapter 1 of Philippians, verse 12 and 13, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has served to advance the gospel. Don't miss that. Advance the gospel. So that it has become known through the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Now I want you to think about this. This this church was thinking that since Paul was in chains, maybe the mission had come to a halt, right? If you put the missionary in chains, then the mission is in chains, right? The the ministry of the gospel has kind of stopped because Paul has stopped because he's been arrested. But Paul reassures them. He says, no, no, no. Actually, this arrest has served to advance the gospel. Now, we were just talking a minute ago before we pressed record about the numbers on Facebook and YouTube, all the people who have checked out our online content through this lockdown, through this pandemic. We are reaching people that we would otherwise not be able to reach if it weren't for this technology and for the situation of this pandemic. So we're thankful at how this season has allowed the advance of the gospel through the internet, through so many churches. Paul says this, this has served to advance the gospel. Now I want, I want you to think about this. Paul is on house arrest. He's locked in this room. And he has this rotation of guards that are coming and standing with him. I don't know what the shift was. Three hours, a different guard. They would come in, chain themselves to Paul and just watch Paul. What did they see in Paul's life? Well, Paul would be writing about Jesus, writing to churches. Paul would be talking about Jesus. Paul would be praying to Jesus. Paul would be singing about Jesus. Like Paul and Silas sang hymns in the prison in Philippi and the earthquake shook and the Philippian jailer got saved. Do you remember that? The Philippian church started there. I wonder if Paul was praying for that soldier that he was chained to. Praying that God would bless him, that God would restore his relationships, that God would bless his family, his work, that God would be more real to him, that he would experience God's love. And then the next soldier would come in and switch spots and be chained to Paul. Do you know what? Paul actually looked at this situation as just a change in audience. I've heard, I've heard one pastor say, I've heard a few pastors say that It likely wasn't Paul who was chained to the soldier. It was the soldier (laughs) that was chained to Paul. Paul had a captive audience. It's like when the, the evangelist sits on the plane next to somebody and he's got two hours where that person can't move and he can tell them all about God's love for them and they're not going to be able to jump out of the plane. Well, Paul took the same approach. This soldier is chained to him, so he's going to tell him about the love of God in Christ Jesus. And then Paul says this, not only has my ministry in the gospel advanced, but it's also that, look at verse 14, most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Not only did Paul have a captive audience and the gospel was spreading through the Roman prison, through the Praetorian guard, and to the rest, whoever that means, but also brothers and sisters in Christ who were evangelists, who were leaders in churches, were now more bold because they had heard about the spreading of the gospel even though Paul was in chains. If Paul is in chains and he can preach the gospel in that situation, well then I can tell my coworker about Christ. 
That's the trend that's happening. Can I say this? Do you know what's even more contagious than COVID? A godly attitude and outlook. Paul's optimism and courage. This this Christ-like attitude that bubbled over and trickled into other leaders in the church. You've been around people like that. You know people who are optimistic. You know people who have this courageous outlook that are driven, that have this godly attitude that you just love to be around. You know what's even more contagious than that? A bad attitude. A bad attitude. You've been around somebody with a bad attitude, right? It just kind of rubs you the wrong way. You've, you know that when you step in the door, the first words that come out of somebody's mouth indicate what side of the bed they woke up on, Right? And it just kind of, it's, it's not attractive to have a bad attitude, but it catches on. You know, this sort of godly community is so important. Paul's attitude trickled into the lives of these leaders and evangelists in the early church. And I wonder, who's in your community these days when you're in lockdown? Who are you connecting with? Whose words are you allowing, whose attitude are you allowing into your mind and heart? food for thought. Then Paul gets into his thought process and how he maintains this missional attitude. How does he do it? How does he do it? Uh, he says, as I see it here in house arrest, there are two outcomes. There are two outcomes and that's it. Either I'm going to be executed or I'm going to be released. Simple as that. Paul's kind of a black and white, straightforward, bold, straight shooting kind of guy. He says, either they're going to kill me or they're going to let me go. And then he, he says this. Look, here's his outlook. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You've probably heard this verse. You probably have it memorized. You can probably quote it. Paul says, for me to live is Christ. Let me let you in on Paul's mindset. Paul's life is Jesus. Every moment, every opportunity, every day, every week, he gives his life to see people come to know Christ. Paul's deepest desire is to know Jesus and be closer to Jesus, which means death is gain. If he dies, he gets to be with Jesus. He gets to experience Jesus more fully than ever before. You know what I call that? I call that a win-win. Whether I live or die, it's for Christ. Here's the two outcomes. I win either way. That's the victorious mindset. And you know what? If you're a Christian, if you're a Christ follower, if you've given your life to Christ, and if King Jesus rules over your heart, you don't have the option of being a victim because you are a victor in Christ. Your situation is the same. Your situation is a win-win. Whether you live, whether you die, you get to be with Jesus. You get to live for Jesus. You die, you get to be with Jesus. That's the victorious mindset. Because of Jesus, no matter the circumstance, we win because he's already won for us. Praise God, it's secure. Now here's the rub. Can we really have an attitude like that? Is that something, you know, we just read or something pastor says from a stage and it, it kind of, that's as far as it goes. Can we really have a mindset like that? Well, the next thing Paul says is this mindset is accessible to everyone. He calls the church in Philippi to this mindset that it's all about Christ. Whether I live or die, 
It's gain. It's for Christ. This attitude can actually be yours through Jesus because Jesus has already secured it for you. Look at chapter 2 and verse 4. Paul says, Let each of you look not only on his own interests, but also the interests of others. So important. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Don't miss that. It's already yours in Christ Jesus. This is the mind you are to have. Do you realize that the mindset, the outlook, the attitude, it's already yours. You already have it. You, you know what I love? When I'm trying to figure out a new piece of technology, and I, I pull out my phone, I just, I can't figure out. I can't get it. I, I wish it just had. And somebody comes up and shows, no, 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 you, you've already got it. It's right here. You just need to access it. Let me open it up. There you go. And there it is. You had it the whole time. You just needed to access it. Well, it's the same with your heavenly attitude. You already have it through Christ. You just need to access it. You just need to turn it on. It's already yours in Christ Jesus. This isn't something you need to fight for. This isn't something you need to build. This is something you need to practice because it's already in your arsenal. It's already yours in Christ Jesus. So what are we talking about practically? What does this look like? Well, look at verse 4. It's right there. Do you think about only your own interests? Or do you think about the interests of others? Here's how simple it is. The mindset of Christ. Is it all about you? Or do you think about other people? Yeah, I think it's that basic. It's that basic. And we don't need to complicate it anymore because that's difficult enough, isn't it? If we threw a survey out there that determined how much we think about ourselves, it would be off the charts, wouldn't it? Just think about it. I don't have to give you an example because you already have so many examples. I'll just give you one example. When you pull into Walmart to the parking lot, what parking spot are you looking for? The one that's closest to the door. Does the thought ever cross your mind? Hey, somebody else might need that more than me, so I'll park a little further away. No, the only reason people park further away is so they don't get dense in their nice car, right? We think about ourselves a lot, but the Jesus mindset says, don't look only at your own interests, but look at the interests of others. How many times do you think about the needs of other people in the course of a day? It ties back to the second thing that stuck out uh, from Steve's last two sermons. Do we really love people? Do we really care about people? Do we have a burden for people? Or is it all about us? That's the Jesus mindset. That's the Jesus attitude. Can I admit, when my attitude is the worst... It's because I'm thinking about myself most. And I'm thinking about others least. Let me just give you one personal example. Do you want to know what COVID restriction I can't stand the most? <laughs> Probably not, right? Because you're, you're kind of done talking about all that. But I'm going to tell you anyway. The restriction I can't stand the most is the one that affects me the most. Can I, can I admit something? I really don't care about the restrictions in Newfoundland. You know why? Because they don't affect me. I don't have family there. I'm not planning on going there. But I do care about the restrictions in New Brunswick because I want to go to a wedding this Friday for my good friend. So the restrictions that bug me the most are the ones that affect me the most because guess who's number one in this conversation? Well, it's all about me. But the Jesus mindset says... Don't look only at your own interests, but look also at the interests 
of others. How often do we think about the needs of other people? The needs of others, putting others first, serving others. This sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? And that's exactly where Paul goes next. Um, Many believe this is the climax of the book of Philippians. This is like a song. It's like a poem about Jesus Christ and his humility. It's in Philippians chapter 2, starting at the end of verse 5. Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, Jesus is God, fully 100% God. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, living with open hands. We've talked about that so much. The theological terminology we put to this is that Jesus gave up the independent use of his divine powers so that he could fully experience what it meant to be man by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. This is the incarnation, God becoming man. This isn't just the Christmas story. This is Jesus. He's 100% God and 100% man, the hypostatic union. Jesus, God in the flesh. He took on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Being found in human form, he humbled himself as if he hadn't humbled himself enough already by becoming obedient to the point of death, but not just any death, even death on a cross. This is so deep and so rich. This is the attitude, the mindset of Christ. This is thinking about the needs of others above your own to the pinnacle point. This is it, the climax of the book of Philippians. It's all about Jesus. Jesus gave it up. He left the throne room of heaven. He was born not just as any man, but as outskirts on the outside of town where there was no room in the inn. He lived in obscurity from Nazareth. We've talked about the inclinations of that. He washed the disciples' feet. He fed, he he touched the lepers, he spoke to the woman at the well that everybody else avoided. He let that woman with the discharge of blood touch the hem of his garment. He helped the outcasts. He humbled himself and humbled himself. And then he was falsely accused. He was betrayed by a friend. He had his beard plucked. He was spat on. He was yelled at. He was hit. He was stabbed. He was whipped. He was hung on a cross naked. An embarrassing, shameful death. He humbled himself and humbled himself and humbled himself. And he did it for you and he did it for me. He gave up everything to give us everything. That's our Savior. This is the Jesus attitude. He cared about the needs of people so much that he would give up his very life. This is critical to the mission. This attitude is critical to the mission. If we're not even willing to give a tenth of ourselves, how can we be on mission for Jesus? You know, one of my fears is that through this whole lockdown, we've had all this time off. You know, have you gotten used to your couch, right? I've, I admitted earlier, I have eaten way too many Doritos. But 
It's, it's gonna, we're all going to trip when we jump back on the treadmill. Do you realize that? When we start going with all these things and it's, it's time to jump back into things and it's time to engage physically in ministry, in our communities, in all of the schedule that we used to try and hold and hopefully we make better decisions when it comes to how we spend our time, we're all going to fall flat on our face when we're trying to get back on the treadmill because we've grown so accustomed to staying at home, haven't we? I mean... I really hate to admit this as a pastor, but having Sundays off where you can watch from home with your family? I mean, having Wednesdays free, Friday nights, getting to have the meeting from your couch? I mean, when it comes time to engage physically, it's going to be hard to let go of some of those things that we've really grown accustomed to over the last number of weeks, isn't it? Jesus emptied himself. He gave it all up for the mission. When it comes time, are we going to be willing to to give up so many of these things for the sake of our community, for the sake of our mission, for sharing the journey, the mission of Jesus? It's going to be hard to let go, but that's what Jesus did for us. So what do we do with this? Where do we start? Because that Kind of sounds like a tall order, first of all. Let's, let's get really practical and let's break this down as we get through the next half of the sermon. Paul finishes his song, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 9. Therefore, because Jesus emptied himself, humbled himself, died on the cross, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Can you just say this with me? Just say it. Jesus is Lord. And then say this. I am not. If you'd be willing, would you just type that in the chat? Jesus is Lord, and therefore I am not. Just write out those words. Think about that. Say it to yourself. Jesus Christ is Savior of the world, exalted on high. Every knee is going to bow and tongue confess that it's all about him. It's always been about him. This whole gospel project curriculum, this three-year journey through the Bible that we're on, we're coming to the end. It's all about Jesus. All of history is his story. It's all about Jesus. It's not about me. Jesus is Lord, I am not. It's all about Jesus. It's not about me. But so much of society says it is about us. It's about self-love, putting ourselves first. Make sure you take care of yourself, take care of your self-health. But when we declare this, we are in turn saying it's all about him. It's not about me. The story isn't about me. Here's why Jesus' attitude is so critical to the mission. You can't point people to the savior of the world If the world revolves around you, you can't do it. Who's your world revolve around? Let's let's introduce some characters into our discussion because it can be kind of hard to to look at ourselves in light of these truths. So let's point the finger at some other people before we point the finger at ourselves, okay? Does that sound good? Let's talk about some other people. Let's talk about little Timmy first. Uh, Mr. Timothy, we've talked about him Uh, Eight weeks ago, I think, I talked through Timothy and his ministry. This is Paul's protege, his son in the faith. Do you remember him? 
Philippians chapter 2 and verse 20. Paul says this about Timothy. I have no one like him. That's pretty high praise, isn't it? No one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. How many people out there are genuinely concerned for your welfare and how much a society just wants something from you, right? Is there actually any pure love? Is there anybody extending love, not hoping for something in return? Paul says, look at this guy. There's no one like him. He will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Let me give you some context. When Paul was arrested and he went into house arrest, that had implications on church leaders that were associated with Paul. If you followed Paul and you were connected with Paul, and because Paul's in arrest, that meant persecution for you. So, many of them ran away because they ain't interested. You know, that's not fair. That I, I, deserve, I deserve better. I deserve my due. I'm looking out for number one. And if being associated with Paul means persecution and suffering for me, well then, you know, I'll say no to Paul. I can keep serving in the church, but, you know, I, I just need to keep that relationship on the down low. But Timothy says, you know what? Even if it causes suffering for me, and even if it doesn't seem fair to me, And even if the government restrictions because of the implications on Paul that are now infringed on me seem unfair, I'm going to embrace those. Because what really matters is the mission of Jesus Christ and my relationship with Paul, my father in the faith. So he says, I'm going to embrace this suffering. I'm going to put my own interests aside and I'm going to be okay with this. That's the Jesus attitude. Putting your own interests aside. Just think, over the past week, how many times have you thought or, or maybe even said, it's just not fair. I don't deserve this. Why should I have to give up my right to... We're, we're all about our rights, aren't we? We're always stating our rights and our opinions. My attitude is the worst when I'm thinking about myself the most, but it's not about me. It's, it's all about Jesus. The world would say it is about you. Love yourself. Fight for your rights. Stand up. But Jesus says differently. He says, if they take your cloak, give them your shirt also. Or maybe it was vice versa. He says, if they hit you, offer them the other cheek. Jesus takes it a step further and he says, rejoice when people persecute you. Rejoice. For they persecuted me too. You get to follow my example. You get to experience a little bit of what I experienced, like Jesus. Timothy chose to suffer for Paul and for the mission. He gave up his own rights. He gave up what he thought was fair. Here's another character, Epaphroditus. There's a name for you if you're looking for a good baby name, Epaphroditus. Uh, this, This is the one who carried the gift to Paul. This is who's carrying this letter to the Philippian church back to the Philippian church. You know, the trip from Philippi to Rome, when you look it up on the map, it says it'll take like 20 hours by car, and then you have to get a boat ride across the sea. That's a long trip. Epaphroditus did that to carry some money and some encouragement to Paul, Likely did it on foot. That's incredible. Um, But here's something that's also incredible. Chapter 2 and verse 30 of Philippians. It says, Paul's talking about Epaphroditus. He says, for he nearly died for the work of Christ. 
risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. You know, when the Philippian church came together and they thought, we really need to encourage Paul, he needs some financial support, what can we send him? Are you going to bake biscuits? Awesome, we'll throw those in too. They said, now we need somebody to carry it that whole distance to Rome where Paul's in house arrest. And Epaphroditus said, I'm your guy. Let's do it. I'll take it. And he nearly died for the work of Christ. You know, many believe that he contracted malaria from the swamps that surrounded Philippi. So he's got these flu-like symptoms, nausea. He's just a wreck of a man, and he can't just check in at the local hospital. He's really suffering. Paul says he nearly died. He nearly died for the work of Christ and for his service to Paul. This is the Jesus attitude. This is humility. Epaphroditus put Paul's needs so far ahead of his own health, he risked his own life. I, I know so many champions of the faith. Through my life, uh, in this church as well, I sat with a number of them in our board meeting last night. People who have given the best part of their lives to serving Jesus, his church, and in their local communities. People who have given their lives for the cause of Christ. Let's talk about Paul. Paul shared in his sufferings too. Do we need to list them all again? I feel like we're kind of a broken record going around all the things that Paul experienced. I mean, this guy was shipwrecked, beaten, stoned, arrested, chased out of town, snake bit. But you know what he said to all that? Why is everybody always picking on me? No, he, he didn't say that. Here's what he said, Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10. That I may know him. I go through all these sufferings so that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death. Think about this. You know, you're the student who sits at the table and the kid opens his lunch bag and it's like, hey, you want to share my fruit roll-up? Yeah, fruit roll-ups are good. I'll share those. But Paul says, I want to share in your suffering. I want to share in the difficulties because by sharing in your sufferings, I get to become more like you. I get to understand more of what it is to be a Christian, to be a little Christ, to be like Christ, to be sanctified, becoming more like Christ. If I get to suffer like Christ suffered, then I get to experience what it's like to be the suffering Savior who died for my sins. Paul says, I'm going to share in your sufferings so that I can get to know you more, so I can experience more of Jesus Christ. He wanted to share in suffering. Man, we avoid suffering like the plague, don't we? We run away from it. Is it going to be tough? Well, count me out. But Paul took suffering as an opportunity to partner with Jesus, to get to know Jesus better, to come closer to Jesus. Paul embraced it. Look at what he says in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect. I'm sure there are people out there who thought that Paul was. He says, no, I'm not. But I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. How many know the race isn't done until you cross that finish line? Life's not over until you take your final breath and you open your eyes in the next with Jesus. There is no retirement age from your ministry you're calling the Great Commission. Paul says, I press on to make it my own because Jesus has made me his own. Why do we love? Because God first loved us. 
Why do we get to run the race? Because Jesus first ran the race for us. Why do we get to have this Jesus attitude and mindset? Well, it's because Jesus already set his face to the cross and died on the cross for our sins. Looking to the joy that was set before him, he endured the suffering. We get to do it because Christ did it for us. It's not all about us. It's all about him. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 13. Paul says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, I love that, one thing I do. If you could sit down with some celebrity or sports figure, Michael Jordan, and he were to say, look, this is the one thing that I did. You'd want to take note of it, right? You'd want to write it down. The Apostle Paul, one of the, one of the greatest missionaries to the Gentile ever, this is the guy that God called his chosen instrument to take the gospel of the Gentiles. He says, one thing I do, just one thing. Can you remember one thing this week? Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Paul was future focused. Paul was forward focused. Verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Beautiful verses. Paul could see past all the turmoil and suffering and disgust of his current chains and house arrest. He was able to see past what he couldn't do. He was able to see past the good old days and the way things were or the regrets of his past. The screams of the persecuted church that he had a hand in persecuting. He was able to look past all of that and focus on the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. Someday there is going to come a moment when only one thing matters. You could say only one thing matters today, but there's going to come a moment when truly you're going to stand before Jesus and only one thing is going to matter. How did you live your life for him? How did you, how did you become more like Jesus, be with Jesus, tell people about Jesus, live your life for Jesus because it's all about Jesus and it's not about you. Paul looked forward to that moment when he was called to heaven and he was able to give a response for, for his life that he had lived for Christ, to be with Jesus. But you know what? They, they can't all be heroes, can they? Let's, let's look at a few people who are really struggling with this. Paul calls out a couple ladies in the church in Philippi. And in case you think Paul is being tough on ladies and, you know, praising men, uh, in this church in Philippi, Lydia the one who dyed purple cloth and sold purple cloth, she was the first convert in Eastern Europe. The first convert in this church in Philippi was Lydia. And she had a hand alongside Clement, alongside uh, the other people that were instrumental in founding this church with Paul. She had a hand in seeing this church come together. So Paul, Paul worked with women. He's, he's not downplaying women, but he calls out two women and says, you need to figure this thing out. Chapter 4 and verse 2. He says, I entreat Eudia and I entreat Syntyche, I think that's how you say it, to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, true companions, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement, the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. Now I want you to, to just think about this. 
Epaphroditus carries this letter back from Paul. He's just getting over his malaria or whatever the sickness was. He's pretty weak and feeble. He's just finished this journey. The whole church has come together in Clement's house, I think it is, and they get together for the reading of this letter from Paul. They're all anxious to hear how, how Paul's doing. How was this long journey that Epaphroditus took? What's Paul going to say in his letter? Epaphroditus opens the letter. Yes, thank you so much for your support. They're thankful uh, that they were able to support Paul. And then gets into chapter 2, uh, talking about Jesus Christ um, and his example and, and how he suffered and how he gave. And then it talks about Timothy and how Timothy suffered for the gospel. And then maybe Epaphroditus gets choked up as he's reading the things that Paul said about him and how he nearly died for the sake of the gospel and for his companion Paul. And then he gets to the top of page 4. And he says, uh-oh, Judea." Syntyche, this part's about you. You better listen up. Paul says, I entreat you that you should agree. How would you feel sitting in that room? You know, your, your eyes would dart across that other lady like, because you're sitting on opposite sides of the room because you can't get along. You don't want to bump into each other. There's this rift between you and your relationship because she did this to me and she says that I did this to her and I said this behind her back, but I didn't actually, that's not what actually happened. There's, there's this break. Paul says, you've got to work it out. This disunity is not on mission for Jesus. You've got to work this out. Don't you remember when the church was first started 10 years ago? And you both were working alongside me with Clement, with the fellow workers. We helped to found this church and God gave the increase into this church. We worked together. What has caused you to get off mission and get focused on yourselves? You need to work it out. You know what? Judea and Syntyche were putting their own interests before the interests of others. They had lost this heavenly mindset, this Jesus attitude that we're talking about, of humility, about putting others first. They were putting themselves first. Maybe you would admit that that's where you're at today. I don't know. Somebody said something to you. Somebody posted something on Facebook. Somebody, last time you saw them, they kind of gave you the cold shoulder. And your, your mindset, whether you'd say it or not, is, I don't have to talk to that person again. I don't have to, that's not what I deserve. That's, that's not fair. I didn't, and maybe you're thinking, you know what? I'm just going to avoid that person or that person or that group of people or that organization. Maybe you would admit before God in your own heart today that that's where you're at. You're sitting on opposite sides of the room. You're not on mission because you're so frustrated with what they said or what they did. And we can say things like when... When my attitude's the worst, it's because I'm thinking about myself the most, but it's not my attitude that's the issue. It's their attitude, and, and they need to stop thinking about themselves, and they need to start thinking about other people. Or we could write down a, a good little cliche like, it's not about me, it's all about him. Well, that's cute, but they're the ones who need to realize that, and they're the ones who need to figure that out. Well, let's get really practical as we close. Paul gives some closing thoughts that are really deep, and if you're a note taker, I want you to write these down. What do you do? Because it, it, it might not be easy. I agree. Chapter 4 and verse 4. Here's, here's some helpful tips. Write this down if you're a note taker. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. You know, in every season, always, in every situation, there's something to be thankful for. There's something to rejoice over. 
Picture the worst day of your life. Jesus was still there. Your name was still written in the Lamb's book of life. You were still breathing air. There's always something to be thankful for. Choose to be thankful. Just do this little daily practice. Just practice doing this. Thank you, Jesus. You wake up, say, thank you, Jesus. You arrive at your destination in your car, just say, thank you, Jesus. The sun shining outside, just say, thank you, Jesus. How would, the, how would the mission be impacted if that was our attitude? If in every season, always, we were rejoicing in the Lord? There's always something to be thankful for. Look at verse 5 of chapter 4. Paul says, let your reasonableness, great word, be known to everyone, the Lord is at hand. If Jesus was right there, how would that affect how you acted? We know that Jesus is here. We know that the Spirit lives within us. We know that God is omnipresent. How should that affect how we act? Paul says, be reasonable. You know what that term means? It means a lot. Be patient. Be fair. Be just. Be loving. It's like almost all the fruit of the Spirit wrapped up in one term. Be reasonable. Don't let your mind wander. Don't get all crazy. Don't build a situation bigger than it needs to be. Be patient. Be kind. Be gentle. Be reasonable. Verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. You probably heard this scripture. It's beautiful. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Anxious. Anxiety is a buzzword that we talk about all the time. Mental health is a major issue. Anxiety is like this conversation that just runs circles in your mind and builds pressure and you can feel it and it just goes round and round and round and round. You know what prayer and supplication is? It's when you twist the valve and you let out the steam. Supplication literally means heartfelt petition. When you let out all that's in your heart to God. So let off the steam. You know, chances are in the last eight or nine weeks, it's been building up. Maybe you've been really isolated. Maybe it's just been you and your thoughts, which is a scary place to be. But maybe your thoughts have just so much pressure. Just release the steam. Prayer, supplication, just release it to God. And allow the peace that passes all understanding to guard your heart and your mind. There it is again, your attitude, your outlook, your will. Look at verse 8. You know what? I'm just going to ask you, just memorize this verse. Just save it as the background on your phone. Uh, put a sticky note on your fridge. Tuck it in your wallet. Whatever you need to do, memorize this verse right here. Finally, brothers, Paul says this to the church in Philippi, 10 years old. There, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What is that? Eight things listed here? But if, if you're allowing lies, if you're allowing fake news or whatever to run circles in your mind, replace it with truth. Think about what you know to be true. Whatever is honorable, don't think about other people dishonorably. Whatever is just, don't think... This isn't fair. I need to get back at that person. I need to get even with that person. No, replace it with what is just. Whatever is pure, 
Don't let dirty thoughts invade your mind and think, oh, I'm not hurting anybody. No, replace it with what is pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise. There's always a reason to praise. Gratefulness, gratitude is the best attitude. There's no other way to put it. Be thankful. So say thank you in everything. Be reasonable with everyone. Pray and supplicate through everything and think about these things. Can you do that? I know it's a tall order, but here's what it is. The bottom line, good attitude is critical to the mission. Your attitude is mission critical. I can tell you how many times I've told my kids over the course of the last eight or nine weeks, have a good attitude. Change your attitude. Easier said than done, right? But maybe that's what you need to hear today. Change your attitude. I know that's something I have to keep telling myself over and over again. It's not all about me. It's all about Jesus. My attitude is the worst when I'm thinking about myself the most. Let's think about this. Can we do that together? Let's close in prayer. Father God, I want to praise you for who you are today. Thank you for our church family, and I pray wherever they're at, whatever they're thinking, whatever they're feeling, experiencing the circumstances of their day, would all of that just pale into comparison with your glory? Jesus, we thank you for who you are. Thank you that the story is all about you. Thank you that this doesn't rely on our shoulders. But God, help our attitude to mirror the attitude that you had for us. That you were willing to give it all up, humble yourself, empty yourself, die even a death on a cross. So that we could have everything. So that we could have life. So that we could have truth. So that we could have a purpose. So that we could be called to a mission that's greater than ourselves. God, help us to be on mission. Help us to have an attitude that reflects your mission. Help us to have an attitude that compels people towards Christ. Help us to have an attitude that would cause people to say, what's different about that person? Why are they smiling through their pain? How can they really be enjoying life in the midst of this pandemic? How can they care about me when they have so much stuff on their own plate? Well, it's because God loved so that I can love. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us. In your name, amen.